It is uh, Hubbard's Cave German Chocolate Cake, and it's delicious. German Chocolate Cake? What's the ABV on that one? <laughs> 12. <laughs> Shit-eating grin. <laughs> Evil laugh. That's why it's my first one. What's my second one? 12%. Yeah. Ooh. Well, we better... Well, I wanted it, and I, w- I was planning on just getting a pint, but I wanted that. I saw it, and I was like, that sounds good. I love the good stout. I want to start with a stout, and uh, I saw the ABV, and I was like, all right, I'm going flight then, so I can get my taste and still have something to drink. Uh, my next one is a lager, and that's going to be 5.5, so back into reasonable range. I probably shouldn't eat during the recording. Um, well, I'm kind of glad we, get out, we got out again to do another field recording, but... I will say, every time I do it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I don't like doing this. Because it's noisy? It's a pain in the ass. I got to lug all this crap here. I think you usually do a pretty good job at isolating out the background noise. Um, That's the other thing. I have to find, like, my settings. I don't even know if I'll trap. I I think I just start over every time we do this. Yeah. You know what we didn't do, unless you did it without my knowledge, is just record the background noise. Why did we do that? Uh, I thought because you had a tool that would kind of take that and find it and isolate it, but I think as long as you got a, like an open spot, that's in a, if you have a silent room because it can find basically like the noise floor and almost in a way, yeah. or if you have like HVAC like a vent that's on. I used to do that in our old our old before we moved. Remember that? Yeah, because that vent was loud. Yeah, and so if we if we could isolate that vent noise, and yeah, I could. Using AI, of course, John. Oh, yeah. I could, yeah. I could remove that, that yeah. sound. <laughs> We're using AI for everything these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, don't tell, don't tell my boss this, but I don't even, I just, I've outsourced my job to AI. I don't even have to work anymore. <laughs> well, um, how did you think of that Apple event? Because there was some AI in that, apparently. <laughs> was there? Yeah. Of course there is AI in everything. You need some AI to tell you that you got into a car crash. But. You need some AI. You got to have some Web3, too. You got, can we get some crypto in there somehow? Uh, they're working on that. Did you not see the, the end of that? The end of the stream? With no, the so lady staring at the, the subway and then it glitched and then cut, off, cut out? No, I was like, I was barely paying attention. I was on calls and stuff. I had it on. <laughs> it's probably rude. Sorry <laughs> if anyone who had a Zoom with me during that, if I was, uh, didn't seem like I was paying attention. <laughs> that was weird, though. Interesting and a bit of a cliffhanger, and I haven't... So what did I miss? It cut out? Yeah, so after all the music and the little star field and everything was there, um, and it, it, the stream was officially over, but it was still the stream. Oh, yeah. It cuts, and you just see this woman standing in front of this subway uh, train, I think it is. That's what it looked like to me. And it's just she's just standing there for like a 30 seconds or so, and then it glitches. It does this little glitch. Well, that's kind of scary. And then, it's like a and then after that, it cuts out. And then, and then when it came back, was she just had No, she there just was no coming back. Oh, there's no coming back. And so I, I, I rewound it, trying to see if maybe there was some like hidden thing in the image or something that yeah, I missed. Yeah. I didn't see anything. So That is uh, rare for Apple to have a, it is. a, a production flaw like that. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe it has something to do with augmented reality or, some, or virtual reality or something. They're, they're meta something. But uh, They switched to the test camera on accident or something. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely intentional. It was definitely in the stream. So, and I haven't, I haven't followed up on it. I, was, I went straight, straight back to work after that, but I didn't follow up on it, on it to see if anybody else had any theories or things like that on it. Well, I've got to say, John, I'm, I'm feeling the sticker love. 
the past week. Yeah, so ask I, I flushed the buffer, and it's just filled back up again. I've got people coming in um, through our email. I've got people coming in through like DMs and like other methods. That's so, awesome. I know. Well, that's good. We need to start getting through these stickers. It's, it's so, awesome in a way that we're getting rid of stickers, but it's also awesome in the way to get the inter- interaction. Because there for a while, I think we interaction was kind of really low with us. I mean, it still and is. it kind of felt like we were just in busy. the ether. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because yeah. if you look at, like, I mean, we still have, like, same, you know, same number of listeners, it seems like. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much kind of plateau. I mean, we're like the Salesforce stock. We're going sideways. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've, been, we've been trading sideways for four years yeah. now. <laughs> um. But yeah, I feel like I don't think I, I think everyone's just busy. But yeah, we got a lot of more sticker requests, so I think I'll send out another. So today's Friday is when we're recording right now, so I'll send out another batch probably on Monday. So if you, uh, this is the for real last shipment before Dreamforce, right? And so, then if they can find you and corner you, will you have some stickers at Dreamforce? That's Josh should take some. Oh, were you not planning on it? <laughs> no, I was. I just thanks for reminding me. Oh, okay. In fact, remind me next week when I'm in the office and I can okay, put some I'll, in my bag. I'll try. I'm not the best at reminding people of things. I can't even remind myself what to do half the time. But yeah, so if uh, anyone who wants to get in on that on this final batch before Dreamforce, shoot us an email at info at gooddaysirpodcast.com and just say you know put in the subject sticker, sticker request, whatever, and. Give me your uh, address and then how many stickers you want. I can I can comfortably put up to about ten, I think, maybe more. Maybe I think I've done twenty. But you know the uh, the, the postal service rules are that the envelope has to be very flexible, and it oh. can't also there's a thickness limit. So I haven't gotten one returned yet. It's because it's all sorted by machine now. I guess it gets caught in the machinery. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, just let let me know how many you want. If you have like a, a group or people at work or a whatever, we can send multiple. Even the people that request one, I, I think the minimum I send is like three. Like I gotta gotta get rid of these people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna put a three x multiplier in whatever people ask for. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that's how I've had it set up in Excel. It's a formula. Just to give it some padding. Oh, should I be ashamed that I'm doing this in Excel and I didn't create a custom object in Salesforce to track these sticker requests? Um, I think I'm more concerned that it's probably a Google Doc and you're calling it Excel. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. What is, that, what is that called? A genericized trademark? It is. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a different word for it, but that, that's what I've been calling yeah. it. But it's essentially when you refer to something by its brand name, because that's what it's become known as, yep. even though that's not what the product is. Kleenex. Uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. Q-tip, Xerox, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's get through some topics. This doesn't have to be long. We're just our goal was. To, I think we mentioned this, this before, is huh? This, this is, is the filler episode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not filler. You know, maybe it is. Maybe they're all filler. That's you know, that's up for people to decide. You know, in, in every sitcom, you know, they go off location. You know, they're not in their usual building in their usual rooms. They they go on a vacation or they go on a cruise, and that's just the filler episode. Yeah. We're at the Growler. Well, we need to... So the idea was like our Dreamforce episode would be episode 300. So this this one we're recording today is 298, which means we have to get one in next week, which is going to be really hard because my wife is out of town all next week. So I'm Mr. Mr. Oh. You know, whatever. I, I'm, I've been told I'm not allowed to call it babysitting because they're my kids. 
God, you can make me babysit? They're your kids. It's not babysitting. Okay, fair enough. Um, no, but uh, and, and my youngest kid broke his arm a couple weeks ago, so he can't ride his bike. And his school starts like before the ass crack of dawn, and yeah. and then it ends in the middle of the day. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't know how I'm going to get anything done really because um, I don't work from home. I can't work from home. It's just impossible. Um, and I'm and I I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do. So I don't know how we're going to record next week. Might have to do a good old fashioned. I was going to say, we, we're doing the Growler episode. We should do the old-fashioned remote recording episode. God, I don't even know how to do that anymore. <clears throat> we used to use Skype. I don't even have Skype anymore. Do you have Skype? No. <laughs> I don't either. In fact, wasn't it uh, like the intro of our first or second? or one or, The first couple of episodes, the intro was, I think, the uh, Skype ringtone. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was to signify yeah. that you were calling me, and then I was just picking up and we were having a conversation. It was an eavesdrop. Oh, I gotta, Sorry about that. What'd you I'm, do? I'm like moving in and away from the mic, and I can hear when I get really, really close. Oh. oh. I like it when you get close, John. It's the beer. Makes me feel, makes me feel good when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> We're also a lot closer than we usually are recording, so like your face is like practically right here. Yeah, you're totally going to get my COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I had COVID like three months ago, so I don't think I can get it already, right? I don't know how it works. I'm assuming I mean, so. I mean, I'm vaccinated, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't either. I don't know how any of this there's, stuff works. There's Actually, I, there's, know how, I know how this all works. It doesn't work. No. <laughs> all right. Um, well, that's for my, the first thing on my list was my, this, again, I just, I, you know, I know people probably hate me for covering Java stuff, and but, but Microsoft, this is, where was this? i-programmer.info? Is mm-hmm. this even a real site? Anyway, Microsoft goes all out on Java. So Microsoft has released an update to VS Code that has support for Spring applications. And also there's a new... Microsoft has a brand new website that's dedicated to Java. What, what is this website? Because honestly, like the, one of the worst websites ever is Java. Java.com. Um, I heard that got a refresh. So, oh, wow, this looks just... Doesn't it yeah, point you to Oracle it's just, now, It's though? crusty. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's owned by Oracle. I know, but it, it got incorporated into their site in the worst way. You, you can't find what you really need. No. Well, the great thing about the Java community, though, is that, I mean, so Oracle owns, like, a lot of the trademarks and licenses and stuff. Right. But, no, Java got open-sourced. Yeah. Gosh, 10 years ago now? And so you have all these open source, and Oracle still, don't get me wrong, Oracle still commits a ton of resources, and they really, a ton of engineering resources, and they're really moving Java forward. It's, Java's an incredible success story. Incredible yeah. success story. Um, it's still one of the leading languages. Um, I know it's not like the hotness, you know, people are into, you know. JavaScript. <laughs> JavaScript, oh God. Hey, don't I laugh. wasn't going to say that, but. Did you know that JavaScript's running on the, the web space telescope? I mean, it runs everywhere. Yeah. Atwood's Law, right? Yeah. Um, but no, like, um, what is everyone into nowadays? You know, there's, I mean, it, I don't know, closure and, I mean, of course, like Kotlin. I feel like Kotlin's a little bit more mainstream, but Scala and what are the, what, is, what are the, um, yeah, I don't know. And so Java, but Java's really evolved. I mean, considering its constraints and its backwards compatibility, which has also done a great job at, for better or worse, right? Yeah. Great job. <clears throat> I mean, it really, and Java now has a this release cadence that it's just, I mean, it's really evolving and keeping up with the times. It's, it's, staying, it's staying relevant. It's, 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 I mean, it was relevant, tw- it's been relevant for 
20, 25 years, I would say. Yeah. I highly rel- in the enterprise. So it's pretty, you know, and I, I mean, I do a ton of work in Java. Um, so, I mean, I'm glad to see companies like Microsoft. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of not healthy when you have one dominant, you know, controller of some kind of community ecosystem language mm-hmm. technology or whatever. Yeah. And of course Oracle is going to be the, the most dominant in the but that's just because they put the most money into it. It's right. open source. You got uh, you know a, at least a half a dozen different really mainstream builds of Java that don't rely on Oracle. Like I you know like, you know the ones I use most often depending on where I'm running things are either Amazon's they call it Coretto. Mm. Um, or um, like the Azul, um, they're like a Java technology uh, kind of vendor. They do their own build, but there's several. I mean, there's Open JDK builds, mm. and and it's weird. I've I've just done experiments, and I don't you know get granted. I mean, I'm doing I'm not doing any like you know massively high scale or any kind of crazy shit. Yeah. But I can switch between the different impl- the different like what do they call them distributions or whatever of Java like between the or, you know oracles and between an Amazons and Azules and. Now, I guess, I mean, I haven't done any, like, precise measurement, but have noticed no performance differences and zero behavior or bug differences or anything like that. That's so pretty, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But then you got, but again, I, was, I think my point was, you know, to have Microsoft continuing to step up their investments in Java and really, like, they're a first-class, like, you know, corporate, you know, member of the Java community now. Um, it's it's just great for the health of Java if if you're into Java you know if you're yeah. if you're someone who's into Java and like you you know use it to make money and stuff it's great to see Microsoft continuing to um, really like be very serious about it and put a bunch of money in it but yeah I mean VS Code now has like all this new Spring support so Spring is one of the big kind of like I guess application frameworks for Java um, yeah. it's kind of a reaction to Java at the time had this thing and it's still there called uh, Java Enterprise Edition and it was just it was okay, but it was just hard to use. Like all of your, all of your classes had to implement some kind of framework interface and all kinds of bullshit. And yeah. and and um, .NET had the same thing. They yeah. had their enterprise library that it, was. I mean, it was meant to solve some problems and give you some kind of magic classes and functionality, but it was just cumbersome to, to yeah. work with. It, it, exactly, it was really cumbersome. It really felt like the tail wagging the dog as yeah. a, as a developer. Yeah. And then, but yeah, one of the guys that you know, Rob, I think Rob Johnson and some other guys that created Spring. Um, it was just a reaction to Java Enterprise, like, hey, let's let's find better, like, more developer friendly ways to do this. And I mean, and it really ushered in. I mean, so Java kind of went through the Spring Revolution, and then of course, it ri- that same thing as tends to has happened the past twenty years, then rippled into the .NET community because the because the the technology architectures are really so similar. You know, .NET yeah. uh, was kind of uh, I'm not going to say a copy, but yeah, it was pretty much a it copy. was. It, Highly influenced by, and, and mm-hmm. you know, and it was the same. They're they're both with like the same generation and same kind of architecture, yeah. I guess. Well, at and, the time .NET came out, they came out with J Sharp as well, which was meant to be a direct competitor. Well, to that's Java. we don't talk about. Yeah, we, don't we don't talk, talk, we don't about, talk about that. that so. yeah. yeah, I'm gonna say time code. Okay, mark mark that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just. You know, it's interesting. In VS Code, I mean, it's also great to see them just continuing to put, to make VS Code more and more. It's still a text editor. It's just on such steroids now. It's almost an IDE. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to switch to it. I mean, IntelliJ is still an extremely impressive and badass full function IDE. So I'm not going to switch to a text editor for like my hardcore development stuff. Yeah. 
but it's cool to see them, and because it's a free option, you know. I mean, IntelliJ. I mean, well, IntelliJ has the community edition, right? Which is yeah. which is great. But I mean, like, I don't think it supports like some of the you know enterprise frameworks. Like, if you want like Spring support and all this other stuff, you know, <clears throat> I think that uh, IntelliJ wants you to buy it. Mm-hmm. How, how dare them? How dare they? I don't know. Well, what are they thinking? Money for their value and their time. Should I mean, all just they, be free? Can't they find another way to make payroll? Should all just be free? Yeah, totally. But I can charge for my software. I think let's. I need to use their free software to make my absolutely non-free software. I think that's only fair. Yeah. I mean, who could argue with that? I know. All software should be free. No. Yes. All everyone else's software should be free except mine, so I can make mine. Yeah. Um. Anyway. That's, that's my thought on that one. Keep going, Microsoft. That's cool. I'm digging it. it. it I mean, it's this this new Microsoft is, is definitely a a, a refresh refreshing thing. I mean, they still kind of step on it every once in a while, but they're. I mean, I mean it's, now that they've moved away from Internet Explorer and they have Edge, and Edge is pretty much Chromium under the under the hood. I mean, all browsers are Chromium now, or whatever yeah. the, the core what's, what's is. What's not? Uh, Firefox and Safari. No, Fi- Safari's uh, separate, Maybe too. Opera might still have their own. Yeah, no. they're separate. Uh, Safari's separate. Yeah. And Firefox is still. Yeah. I feel bad for Firefox, because I really feel like Firefox saved us from... Well, they started this. They started this, and yeah. they saved us from... Again, back to... They saved us from bad Microsoft hell. Yeah, yeah. And they also started the movement towards standardization in terms of following specs and and in that whole process. Um, they they didn't they didn't just implement things to implement things like like and that's what happened with Inter Explorer is is Microsoft threw everything they could at Inter Explorer not and, and unstandardized stuff unstandardized and they, stuff and they, right and they got all these remember they were called webmasters mm-hmm. can't use that term anymore no no you can't in fact uh, you might better put a marker How down about, I know yeah. You could you call them web mains, web main. Yes, you can call them web, web mains. mains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a get joke, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's funny every time I start a uh, when I do get a knit. Um, it tells me that the default is is master, but it also gives me that spiel of you know sometimes it doesn't have Wait, to be master. GitHub does or get 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 does. Yeah. I must I be on. It's, a, it's either must... get or want to do get and knit, and then I public. No, it's get and knit. That tells me that it might not be. Oh, I must be. A, I, you know, this is another thing. <laughs> I thought about this the other day. I, I, you know, Git's one of these things. I I upgrade it like I don't know, maybe once a year when I remember to do. Because I think I'm using Git th- through Brew, mm-hmm. Homebrew. Um, I'm like I don't even know if I ever updated. I could be working on a three year old copy because I'm I'm a I'm a very basic Git user. Although, I mean, I don't know. I do I do rebases and mm-hmm. interactive merges and you know. All kinds of stuff. I mean, but that's, uh, I mean, really, this is still all very basic stuff. I mean, oh, I'm super basic. Yeah. You are super basic, John. Yeah. You're basic. I mean, I'm basically a one man developer doing version control for myself. It's, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the only time I really have to remember merge and all that kind of stuff is when I'm screwed something up and I'm trying to figure something are you out. Not, do you not do, I mean, because I, so I'm generally a one, one man shop too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I, I find myself often using branches mainly because of what's going on in the project. Like, I mean, I've got a lot of integrations where we've got, you know, two or three, I try to, I try to get out of control, but like two or three branches. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely have like main, which is, so I use, 
I don't. Um, what's this called? I don't do main mainline branch development. So, so main is what is in. I use that for what's in production. I also mm-hmm. tag releases. They go into production. Whereas other projects, you know, main is just you commit to main, and then when you do a release, that gets tagged, basically. Right. It's just a, it's a commit that gets tagged. Oh, that's what's in production, or I do oh, that that's a release packages, or whatever. So yeah, okay. I don't know about that, but I don't do it for projects, and there's a reason for that. So for, like for most of my integration projects, main is uh, what's in production, mm-hmm. and then I have a dev. I mean, I'm kind of I'm old school. I kind of still use the Git flow. Do you remember Git flow? We've mm-hmm. talked about it before. Okay, yeah. I kind of I, I do like a modified Git flow. I don't really do I do, Git, too. I don't do Git flow as much anymore because it's uh, it's kind of heavyweight and it's. Um, we don't have to get into it, but it's almost rigid from a from a. It, it, it touts its certain flexibility and flow because you can understand it's 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 kind of a prescriptive, but it's it's almost rigid in, in its prescriptiveness. Yeah. and I don't need that level of it. No, but being a, a one man shop. But a lot of no, I noticed a lot of the ways I use yeah, Git and it branches, it, it's it's yeah. highly influenced from Git flow. Yeah, but I. Yeah, so I'll, I do most of my work on like a dev, like tip, like a, in a typical vanilla project. I'm doing my work on dev, mm-hmm. okay. And then when we get to the point where we want to do a release, I'll usually branch off of dev and create like a QA branch or something like that. I think I call yeah. it QA. And then that'll go into a Q, some QA environment where it gets tested. Now, if we find bugs that need to be fixed, I'll fix them on QA and then merge those back into dev. This is where it's kind of like it, very, it looks very Git flow like. I'll merge yeah. those back into dev, but dev is moving on. Dev is where new features are being added. Yeah, but any fixes that happen on QA, you know, I can just merge those back into Dev. Yeah. Again, the downside of this is you have a lot of when you're looking at your branch history, <laughs> it's, it's very busy. <laughs> I did try doing that for for some time, but it just didn't seem to pay off. It wasn't worth the effort. Um, and a lot of it, it has to do with just the fact that I'm doing Salesforce development compared to what you're doing. Um, all the metadata. Wait, you, didn't, you didn't do square square quotes when you said that Salesforce uh, development. Salesforce development. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I took that pause and then changed my cadence. Yeah, I know. That indicates yeah. the quotations there. It does. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. This is an audio podcast. This was an audible uh, air quotes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so much of my work is tied to the metadata. And it's not like when I create a new branch, I attach a new scratch org to it. That would be ideal, but scratch orgs aren't the quickest and fastest way to set things up. Not only that, there's a ton of config for some of these modules in Salesforce that use data. And that data doesn't get brought over when you create scratch orgs or when you create a sandbox or whatever else you're using. Yeah. So it's, it's almost impractical for me to do a true branch strategy where I have new features here and this and there and my, <clears throat> and my branch matches my environment because my environment is always in a state of flux. So for me, it just became easier to either just have a strict dev branch and when everything's in production, I move that over to main or master. Um, um, but sometimes when I'm just doing hot fixes or quick one-off developments, it's all in master. Or main, yeah, yeah. Preferences. Um, yeah. If you're just doing one, like, if so, is your main is that production? Is that what's in production? Main. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, so I usually have two, or one branch, main, and then. Dev. So again, especially considering you're a one man operation for you know for most of these projects. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. If you make a fix and you just like oh, you just push into production, you can just. You just, you just commit that right on main and push it up. That's not a problem. Right. It's not a big deal. Um, a lot of it depends on your on the on the team dynamics. You know, some, I mean, a lot of I mean, again, it gets back to Conway's law. Like, not only do your communication structures 
model your organization, but you're you know you're kind of your your Git branches model your organization. If you yeah. if you have a one man team, one one, one person branch. team, in our cases we're, we're men, arguably, um, you know you you're probably going to have a simpler branching structure. Yeah. Because I don't have a bunch of teams who need to like get visibility to this hotfix branch I created, so that we can, you know, whatever. Like I just, I literally just made a fix. We tested it, pushed it production. I'm just going to commit that on main. Why not? Right. No, no one else is working on that branch on that hotfix with me. Yeah. It's a one and done. So don't make it. You know, again, simplest thing that could possibly work. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest challenge is is when I've tried to do that multi branch strategy is that. Inevitably, the code that I've written on a different branch is in that environment, and it's code that will run. Um, and what happens is, if I'm if I choose not to commit it to source because it's not ready yet, I have in-flight code in an environment that I'm trying to do fixes and dev in. Which means, I, and then and then there's also the whole stashing and unstashing thing, which I have never gotten the hang of. Oh, I, I stash all the time. I, I'm not good at stashing. <laughs> I screw it up somehow. Well, maybe should, I end up screwing it up, ha, and then I have to rebuild it or pull oh, it from okay. the from the environment. Maybe we should or talk about what stashing is. We, I don't think we ever really maybe talked we should, about that because maybe I just don't understand yeah. it. And honestly, but, I, don't, I don't use it often, but I use it this week. Okay. So it was actually it was yesterday. I had a call. It was a two hour call set up to test all these like this whole slew of um, kind of developments in this integration mm-hmm. uh, that we're building. And I was in the middle of, and, and we're just testing basically like all the latest stuff. So it's, I don't even have a release. We're just testing my dev branch. But I was also in the middle of implementing, you know, some new feature that we weren't testing. We weren't right. testing that yesterday. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not even done with this. It won't even compile right now. So I either need to like create an, another branch. It's like Jeremy's temporary branch and commit that to it so that I can go back to my dev branch that, that has working stuff and we'll, we're testing that branch, right? Right. Um, that's a perfect scenario for Stash. Yeah. So what Stash does is it takes all your uncommitted work and, and saves it into a place and it knows where you, it knows where it saved it, what that was based off of. So in my case, it was based on the tip of my dev branch. Okay? And so when you stash it, <laughs> you, don't go there. When you stash it, <laughs> Stash. Sorry, you have to stash the tip. Yeah. Uh, when you stash it, though, uh, you know, of course, get saved that. But then it, then it puts you back into a clean the tip of whatever branch you were on. Right. And that's what I needed. Yeah. So that we could test that. So we tested that, and during testing, of course, I found like three or four things, and I'm making like quick little fixes because I I love to code on the fly. On I code on Zoom. Yeah. Um, so I got these little fixes, and then when we're done with the call. I did like three or four commits because I, I try to I try to make my commits like one uh, only have one thing you know one thing per commit one feature one fix whatever it is you know just so mainly because it's good when, listen when you're going back in history because you're trying to figure mm-hmm. out where some bug was or what where something what broke did, or whatever yeah. or you need to roll one a, a certain feature back because we don't want it yet or it introduced something like. I've if you don't have gra- fine grained commits, it's it's hard to find that. And if you yeah. do have fine grained commits, it's so easy just to like. Or if you uh, here's another scenario. So, and I think people know where I was going, even though I didn't finish that thought. Another scenario is you've got, you're making all these fine grained commits, and someone says someone calls you and says, "Oh crap, 
that feature you, you just added yesterday, we need that in production now. Well, if you if you have fine grained commits and you're like, oh yeah, that was this one commit. All it was was that feature. Mm-hmm. You can cherry pick that to you know your main branch or some other branch that you can deploy. Yeah. But if you mix it in with just a bunch of garbage and other fixes and different things, like forget it. It's no way. Yeah. Yeah, I've learned that lesson the hard way. I used to do really big, really big commits, and now I've gotten more fine grain with them. Um, but I do try to, to group them in a way that shows what changes I made were possible. So if like someone comes to me with like a new feature and I create something and it touches a bunch of different classes, I try to keep those all in the same commit because one, again, if I had to roll it back, I could. And yeah. if I need to push it forward, I know exactly what's in that, that feature that I just developed. Um, and if I have to create a chain set, I can, I can just look and see what was in that commit and start adding all those things into the yeah. chain set. It made me shudder when you said chain set. I can't help it. I know, I know. We have, we have team what members do do? that like, they start these chain sets, and they're like, put your code in there so that I know when I develop. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no, I know. I prefer to deploy I know. We but still We still live in a chain set land. Yeah. Back to stashing. Yeah, so when I was, when I was done with this call, I, I had three or four commits that I, that I made on my mm-hmm. dev branch that represented kind of the fixes we made during that testing call. And then when I was done, I just do git stash pop and it takes that most recent stash I did. It, it knows what that was based off of and it knows how to, it almost, it almost rebases your changes on whatever the now, now tip of your branches. It's a great tool. Everyone should understand it. Yeah. This, you know, this kind of conversation it's works sometimes for me, but sometimes I've screwed it up and I've had to do either a merge or I've lost the changes somehow. I don't know what I did. This reminds me like, now, people who don't use code because code is so effing bad. Terrible, 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 terrible thing. People that do giant monstrosities of, of uh, what are they called, flows, mm-hmm. and don't do version I mean, how would you even version control those? I mean, you can't. It's just a big, they're, they're big blob of XML. Control. Yeah, they're, they're, but no, no, no. no. But how do you do this, what we're talking about? How do you be like, how do you do like, oh... Yes, we need to pick that that thing that we added. Yeah, you four don't days ago. Pick, you just yeah, go back just, to a previous state. Is all you do. But how how how's that represent business agility? How do you how's that how does that keep you competitive and make your bosses happy and help you get stuff done? It's not about that. It's about the personal satisfaction you get from creating a flow that did something. It's emotional. Flows and low code is emotional. Something you can tweet about or, or write a LinkedIn yes. post about. It's very emotional. Oh, I, love, I love these LinkedIn posts, John. Yeah. Love them. Everyone wants to celebrate all this cool things they did with Flow. Lincoln really should, in addition, like the thumbs up and all this stuff, they should add a one that's like a, a back padding, yeah. a, a person patting their own back. Yeah, that's that's what LinkedIn is. I mean, I've done some really cool things with code, and you don't see me bragging about it. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> kind of what you do on this podcast. Kind of, isn't that what this podcast is? It, yeah, it's here to feed my ego. Yeah, because um, I'm such an introvert that I, I have I have to do it this way. Can't do it face to face. Well, I guess related. So we're talking about Microsoft and uh, all the stuff, and now we got a, we got an Oracle thing here. So Microsoft may be doing some cool stuff with Java, but uh, they get, they better watch out because Oracle's uh, nipping at their at their toes. It's a uh, another very questionable website. Where am I getting this crap from? Wow, so this is probably I know this is probably like an AI generated like article. Uh, it probably is. <laughs> You know, when you go to Google News and you search for Salesforce, you you, t- you know you take what you can get. I mean, maybe Salesforce needs to um, you know fix their pay equity gap again, or do one of these things so we can get some you know some more news in the in the hopper. I just need to turn that tree knob. The tree knob, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 
So we'll talk about the tree knob. I got some more, yeah. some more stuff on the tree knob. So Oracle is on the, the by the way, accelerationeconomy.com. <laughs> uh, and under the tag Cloud Wars. Oh, so God. Oracle is on the verge of becoming the world's hottest cloud vendor. And this was just a couple days ago, but... When you pay for the article, then you get to Next say week, whatever you want. Oracle will release its... Of course, Oracle's had bad news. Remember, what was it? We t- a couple weeks we talked about them. Um, yeah, their layoffs and their, their executives. Massive layoffs because they just bragging com- completely about failed. All the cool stuff they have. Yeah, yeah. So next week, they'll, they'll release their Q1 results showing cloud revenue growth of more than 40%. And they're not nipping at Microsoft sales. They're nipping at Google, Google Cloud's heels. They will displace Google Cloud as the fastest-growing major cloud provider. Well, what is... Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's not surprising. I mean, Google Cloud isn't at the tip of everyone's tongue. I mean, it's AWS. It's AWS and well, Azure are the two the, yeah. runaway clouds uh, out there. Yeah. Oracle, well, I, I maybe third. I don't think you can call either of them runaway. You can't have two runaways. You can only have one runaway. AWS you was... Have two runways. Runaways. Oh. That's different. You can have two runways, <laughs> yes. You just don't want them too close to each other, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of dangerous. Usually one's for takeoff, one's for landing. Yeah, something like that, you know? That would be the uh, disruptor and the legacy. Takeoff and landing. Okay, there you go. I like it. I'll accept that. Um, yeah, they're in, um, so the Safra Cats. Oh, Safra Cats still, still kicking to the CEO at Oracle. She says uh, they're in, they've entered a hyper-growth phase with their cloud. It's because they pumped a bunch of money into all these things. Market-leading fusion and NetSuite cloud applications. You know what's funny? I hadn't heard of NetSuite for so long, and then yesterday I came across it in some article. I made the mistake of clicking on that or going to their website, and now I'm getting a ton of NetSuite stuff. Well, yeah. It still looks as crusty as ever, though. I just feel like everyone should always... Any, any web browsing it should always be in incognito or private mode, whatever it's called. And just every once in a while, just completely close that window and start a new one. Because yeah. otherwise, you're just or use Safari because that's probably the safest browser. Or you know, you know, I take this all back. Safari yeah. or my favorite browser, Brave. Yeah, I, everyone I, should use Brave. I have grown to like Brave. In fact, I have it pretty much to delete everything once it closes. Um, I don't have that, but. They definitely do the most to protect your privacy. Yeah. I really wish they'd have some, maybe they do, some subscription, right? I, just, I, I really need to pay them like five bucks a month. What are you talking about? They have a whole monetization scheme. But I don't do that. I don't opt into that. Is, that. is that where you earn ad points or whatever the hell it's called or not ad? What is it basically, called? I mean, it's, it's basically where you, you pay and they're supposed to have some kind of network of creators. Well, so that reminds me of like, oh, we're donating 1% of our time. No, know. you know what? People need checks. They need checks written to them. They need dollar. They I need know. U.S. dollars. But essentially, you're just paying Brave. And what Brave does whatever they want with that. That's how you pay Brave is you buy into their reward, their, their creator program or whatever it is called. Yeah, maybe I should look at that. I'd rather just, you know, I'm on, there's, I'm probably on two dozen, not two dozen, around, the, around a dozen things that are I'm paying like five bucks a month there podcasts a lot of podcasts actually. I mean I might be in the minority but if there's an application flex, that lets you flex pay what it's worth you know well, if they, if they say do. here's the software 
Are, are you do, do you do Patreon with any sites or podcasts or creators of any kind? No, because I really don't listen to that stuff. Okay. But there's a few apps like uh, my Alfred app. Yeah. They don't they don't tell you what to pay. They say, hey, you can use it for free. If you want to be one oh, of the okay. supporters, yeah, just pay us what you think that's, is fair well, for that's, this product. That's the value for value model. Yeah, and it's, I uh, I pay them pretty well. And yeah. I I mean, it, it, I they their version three was. Exit what three years? It only recently turned to version four, where you had to pay again. Yeah, and I was like, "That's super awesome and generous." Yeah, right. No, I'm, that's, I'm willing to support you. Makes a lot of sense because when you set a price, first of all, you cut out a huge part of your customer base that you really probably. This is this is also why enterprise companies and all this stuff. They well, really all companies they try to stratify their their market mm-hmm. so that they've got a product that can that they can offer on the low end for people who just don't have a big budget, but they. They have all these other either add-on products or um, different, like, you know, editions, enterprise mm-hmm. edition, professional edition, all these things. Ultimate. I'm just picking on Salesforce because it's easy. Um, but how do you, you know, your customers who are willing to pay, you know, 150 bucks for a license, like, how do you, how do you offer some of the people, something to the people that only have 50 bucks a month while also getting the people who have more money getting them to pay 150 a month. Well, you, you stratify your market. You know, you, you offer them different additions or some reason. Right. But the downside to that is, you know, when you, when, even at that, that highest end kind of tier, mm-hmm. you always know that you're leaving money on the table because there, is a, there are tiers above that that you're just scared to tap into. You, you, right. you have to draw a line somewhere, right? Whereas with value for value, you just, what your, your message is, hey, you... You can reciprocate with the value that you are getting that you think it's worth. Right. And some people that'll be a really low amount. Some people that is going to be a really high amount. Yeah. You know, is it a good business strategy? I don't know. Probably not. I don't but know <laughs> but I, I do. I'm going to tell, mean, I'm going to see if my mortgage company will accept a, a, a monthly mortgage check of whatever value I feel like I'm getting from them. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It, it's not something that applies to everything. Um, I think it's also interesting, and I was thinking about this the other day after the Apple event, was that how how much they drive the cost of their products on an emotional basis. Like when they came out with that new, how many how many psychologists do you think work for Apple? Oh, PhDs. Millions. I mean, think think oh, about it. it. When you got uh, when you saw millions, when you saw the presentation of all the different versions the watches had, and then they came out with that watch, that one for the really extreme are, cases. Hang on, I want to. Can I just? I'm, I hate to interrupt because okay. I'm gonna piss people off. And I'm, I don't like to be that guy, but I am that guy. Those, what, those, what are you talking about, the watch, different watch mm-hmm. editions? Those are set by psychologists and economists. I mean, yeah. and honestly, like when you really dig into psych- economists, e- e- econ- economics, words, um, you realize it's not, about, it's not about math. It's all about psychology and yeah. human behavior. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um. Yeah, so going back to what I was saying is, is when they came out with that new watch, because they spent the, I mean, they spent quite a bit of time on the watch in this whole presentation. This yeah. was pretty much the watch thing. Yep. They, they built up all these safety features, all these features that were about your health, your safety, and everything else. And then they hit you with their most expensive version that's, that's meant, and they say this, this is for those people that are in extreme areas, extreme situations. But they've built up this thing of, in your mind, this is about your safety. This is about your health. What is that worth? And then they yeah. show you this this model, sure. yeah. this extreme model that has immensely more features than all of the others. And that's what they left you with. That's the last impression they left you with. So yeah. so when you think about the watch, which watch you're going to buy, 
If money wasn't an object, which one would you buy? Well, actually, I wouldn't buy that one because it's too rugged looking. But <laughs> for people that need that model of watch, those people spend, they are so into these, these hobbies. That watch price is not even a question. They were spending so much more money on that, and they're getting so much more value than they got. They used to have to have five devices that would do, that, and, it, and wouldn't mm-hmm. even do what this, new, what this Apple Watch does now. I agree. But so I think the point that I'm making, there's, there's, there's a certain percentage of, of the people out there that are going to be like, from an emotional perspective, Just that's all, the one they oh, want. Oh, the people who always have to have the best thing. Yeah. 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 But for me, that's not even the best thing, because I don't, I don't want the big-ass crown and whatever. You know, <laughs> you don't want the big orange button? No, it's, it's, it's like, you know, these phones that, or the iPads that have the, what are those, what's the super rugged case called, the, something bear? Oh, uh, crap, I could have told Some you. animal name, right? Otterbox, Otterbox, yeah, Otterbox, yeah. yeah it's go. like I don't want that, and I don't want that watch. <laughs> I really want to go caseless. Oh, I would love to, but I would ruin my phone in know, no more than forty-eight hours. Forty-eight hours—that's all it would take. But for I me. really want to go caseless. I'm amazed at people that there are people who have always gone caseless and have never cracked glass on their phone. I'm. I sometimes wonder if it's the case that makes me drop it, the weight, and aside from certain versions of the phone that were like think think glass based. There wasn't any grippiness to it, and so it was really easy to drop it. But I, I mean, I didn't use a. I don't think I used a case one for the first few versions of my phone. I didn't use one until I cracked my, cracked my phone. I know I dropped and then, mine. And then, yeah, I think it was in my pocket. We were on vacation, and I dropped it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm using cases from now on. But still, yeah, I really want to go caseless. Anyways, what were we talking about? Well, we could probably just keep moving on here. Um, this is one of our favorite things, but. This Wall Street Journal. Companies are buying a large number of off- carbon offsets that don't cut any emissions. Aw. Subtitle, when, with the boom in renewable energy, many of the credits that, that trade hands merely represent a transfer of money from one profitable enterprise to another. So a lot of these... You mean one, profitable, one for-profit enterprise to, to another a non-profit? For- no, to, another, to another for-profit. To a like, so the, a lot of the idea with the carbon credits was... By buying carbon credits, you're basically investing in some startup green energy operation that needs money to start up so that we can tr- transition to a green economy or a green whatever it is, you know. Well, I thought we were just planting trees. Well, that's part of it, probably. But, this, you know, they took an example here of um, there's this uh, Indian, um, it's like a big, I don't know, it's a windmill farm or something. But, you know, they've raised, you know, I mean, like, they just picked, picked on Delta Airlines, bought $300,000 in carbon offset credits from this Indian energy company, which turns out is actually already massively profitable. <laughs> and it turns out it's owned by, um, it's actually not Indian. It's in India, I guess. But it's owned by some Spanish conglomerate bunch of rich people. And this thing is already making a ton of it's already it's already massively cash flow positive, and so it completely defeats the purpose. Like it doesn't need anyone's carbon offset money to operate and to grow. It's already, which is actually and it when it's a double edged sword here. On the one hand, yeah. it's a success story. Like hey, you have a green energy producer that's throwing off cash. Mm-hmm. You, you actually don't hear about that very often. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, people are, you know, it's, it, this has become another way to scam. Yeah. 
Yeah, unfortunately. It's just a big scam. Unfortunately. And I think that, I think and that's this, the, this is the kind of stuff that's got to be tightened up. They got to tighten this stuff up. Yeah, they do. They need it needs regulation. I mean, that, that's my biggest problem with all of this, and that's why I make fun of the whole tree planting thing. It's unregulated. All these numbers are, are fake numbers. They're used to offset their their operations, and all it does is increase the usage of it. I mean, oh, we need another server and throw another trees, bunch of trees at it. It's just it do, it's just nothing but it's just verbal masturbation. It's just I don't know what else to say. It pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure if I should mark that or not. I don't know. I, 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 I do I a lot if, of research. I don't know if this show is for adults or I not. I do a lot of research, and I, I, because I'm, I'm very much into energy independence, and I'm very much into diversifying our energy sources, but I hate the people that seem to, to take one new technology and treat it like it's the, the golden standard, that it's the new thing that's going to save us all, whether it's whether it's nuclear or wind or solar or anything else, to act like it's the one thing that's going to be able to apply to everybody. And the reality is that certain, certain technologies are going to be valuable or use, more useful in certain areas than others. And all of them have their compromises, and all of them have their pros and cons, and you have to weigh those out. Nothing is going to no, solve it in a way that's perfect. And in in any time there's... I don't want to use... What's the, what, what's the stupid phrase that... Um, Anytime <laughs> there's a paradigm shift, oh, yeah. there's always the grifters that get in on mm-hmm. the on turn it, it. I mean, even if it's well intentioned, it gets turned into a scam, right? And they got things like is it was it Germany or the EU at large that reclassified has recently, and a lot of it's because you know they decided to become dependent on on Russia for oil and and, mm. and everything. Um, but they've reclassified, and of course they, I can't get anything. Um, They've reclassified, I believe it's natural gas and nuclear, as green energies. Hmm. And that's just greenwashing. That's just so they can yeah. still uh, claim victory at the end of the day, right? Pretty <laughs> much. Such, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's happening out in the open, you know, which is, I mean, I guess. I guess that's good, but. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a, just, a game, and it will be gamed. It is a game, and it is being gamed, and that, that's, that's the frustrating part. And it's frustrating. What did, when, what did my master black belt teacher tell me? What? My master black belt oh. teacher. You say it better than I do. But tell, me tell me how, how you'll measure, measure me, me, and I'll you know, tell you how yeah. I perform. Yeah. And unless you have true governance and checks and balances. Yeah. Well, I'm going to segue into that to talk about uh, <laughs> this little this little uh, criticism that Salesforce Tower got. Now, obviously, this doesn't reflect directly on Salesforce, uh, but Salesforce Tower. They kept their lights on. Kept their lights on. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of it, the the tower... Because um, you know they can, they have that whatever it is, that LCD or whatever at the top, where they the can tip. send messages. Just the tip. It's just on the tip. Yeah, it's right? just on the tip. So the tip gives you tips. It does because it they does. have like messages up there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I sometimes they they turn they turn out fiery. It looked like the the eye of Sauron or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For Halloween, I think. Oh, it was. Oh, that what it was? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I think they put they participated in the alert system, telling people to kind of conserve energy because, of course, California right now is having issues with their energy grid. And so while that thing uh, wait wait I thought that was just Texas that had it, inter- issues with energy grids no no okay no, no. everywhere okay <laughs> I don't know you wanted me to go with that I'm trying to I'm trying to like limit the cynicism I have <laughs> sorry I'm already like a few beers in and I'm like <laughs> yeah but one of them was a twelve percent or so <laughs> That's true. I'm about to go for another one of those um, so anyway so while that alert is going at the top of the tower a bunch of lights are on inside the tower. Um, so they got they got some criticism. Oh, yeah, for that. that's true. Yeah, um, you had to l- at least lower the blinds so that people can't see the light. Yeah. You know, need well, some of those blockout shades. I was going to say the tower wasn't empty. 
Those were all the people in there working their asses oh, off. Oh, yeah, burning the men out oil. Yeah. Yeah. They had to make up for all those quiet quitters out there. Have you... Quiet quitters. Yeah, have you heard yeah. about this? I, I, you know what? Someone used that term today on a call I was on, and I don't know what it means, so can you please it's, enlighten me? It's this new thing that's been coming out. I don't know where it originated from, but it's essentially what, what it's originally essentially meant to mean, from my understanding, is doing the bare minimum of your job description. Meaning you're not being ambitious, you're not going above and beyond, you're just doing the bare minimum, you're 9 to 5, get in, get out. What it has actually become is, yeah, I work from home, there's no one monitoring me, uh, I'm just not going to work. I'm going to click on the Xbox, PlayStation, I might ping in when I have to get a call or text when someone texts me. But isn't that what the executives have always accused us of doing? Remember when when Yahoo, what was this, like 10 years ago now, 5 years ago, like, like, no more work at home. Yeah, and it became a big concern about people enjoying working remote and not wanting to go back in the office. And people are saying, well, we have to keep track of you. There's always that one person who figured out how to automate their job and didn't tell anyone. Or, even worse, I think, was was paying someone like on, you know, Mechanical Turk or someone in the Philippines or whatever to to do their job for them. (laughs) Just sharing their VPN login with someone they found on the other side of the world, you know, that's doing their job all day. Yeah. And then also you have these, have you seen these, have you heard about these mouse movers? No. Yeah. So you set your mouse on it and it, everyone, it's battery operated and everyone's like, or it, you know, kind of pretty regularly, it kind of jiggles mm. around it and it make it registers movements with your mouse. So it looks like, because so, companies have, because believe this, your Slack companies have, tell you when you're idle. No, it's not just Slack. It's all, companies will have like all the A spyware, little, the little corporate spyware. Yes. Yeah. Corporate spyware that just runs on your, that, you know, but if these were good spyware, they would it would be AI driven it could figure out whether that was just a mouse mover or whether that was someone working it's getting there I'm sure it is they need some Einstein up in there if, if Apple can develop a phone algorithm that knows when you got an accident they'll have an algorithm on your MacBook that tells you when you're working or not yeah <laughs> again just it's people work with your people it's it's turning out to be a big issue in the tech sector. So this is a, this is a this is from but, Salesforce's but, own PR but, news site. Okay, Salesforce you, hires you, new experienced team to tackle quiet quitting. This Sales, is from wait, wait, this read is on, that again to me. Sales how Salesforce's new employee experience team tackles quiet quitting. Employee experience team. But I love these new terms that we keep coming up with. Yeah. So they have a team dedicated to the employees' experience within the company. And one of them is the phenomenon of quiet quitting that they address. It's not an article published by some random blog. It's an article published on their own site. Yeah, yeah. Quiet quitting. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if someone's not doing their job, you know, they need to... They should quit. No. They shouldn't. I mean... I know. Because they're going to keep getting paid to yeah. do less. Why should they quit? But here's the, here's the thing that always gets me about these. Every, all of these stories, they all point to management problems. They do. It they just, really do. A, if, if you have, an, especially like a company like Salesforce, the average salary is probably, who knows, high, right? And if, you ha- if, and if, if a, one of these high-paid employees can literally not do their job day in and day out, and no one notices other than your mouse movement detector, you have management problems. And I, yeah. I don't... The article's about Salesforce. It doesn't really mention that. But, I mean, any, any of these companies, so they all have this kind of management problem where it's like they actually don't trust their... 
they're boots on the ground line level managers. Mm-hmm. These people are not doing their job. Now, maybe they have too many direct reports. I don't know. But at some point, that's a management problem when you don't even know what the hell your employees are doing and you have no way to you know, measure them or just check in with them and it really shouldn't be shouldn't it should not be possible to go undetected true if, and if they do then I'm just you're not you are running your business poorly I, I think the bigger problem is that the back the the way that they're going to attempt to solve this is probably by micromanaging which is the, pro- the worst thing it's, they could they, do it's, it's, it's the worst knee jerk reaction it's the way it always happens I mean it, sh- it should be about value it should be about what value you as an employee contribute to the overall team and that should be easily reflective in the results whether it takes me an hour to do something or 10 hours to do something as long as it's on time and it's quality work what does it matter well that's, unless, that's unless between you, you and your employer like but some, I, yeah you know. yeah i mean different industries will have different feelings about that exactly a company like salesforce probably would be not care about that as much but right. a company that deals with trading dollars for hours like a consultancy might have problems with that yeah oh yeah that's true so so there's a big difference in what i said in terms of like how it's applied but in general it's how value gets measured right yeah but in general i think people just want to know that they're contributing they want to enjoy their their, the work that they do and they want to feel value they don't want to feel like most people they don't want right you know i went through a phase where i blamed the younger generation for being lazy and not wanting to do stuff and some and for the most part anecdotally that's somewhat true but i think i think human beings enjoy doing something you know, they, they enjoy being productive. They enjoy contributing yeah. something to, to something larger than just themselves. And I, I just think companies need to learn how to harness that and, and do something with that. Yeah. And, in, in, I mean, when you look at, you know, the current economy and the dynamics involved in, it's all about learning how to get, you know, really maximize the value of people. And and, sure. and help them achieve their, you know, their their potential, right? But again, it goes back to like if you don't even if you literally don't even know if someone has done has signed in in a month, then you're you're so far off the mark. But it's always weird how they don't you know companies don't point to their own management problems for that. It's always oh we have it's just. These people, we got to get these people back in the office. Yeah, they, they can't be trusted. They got to get back into the office. Yep, come on, guys, back in the. Who was it that it was in the news last week for? Is it Google? I think it's Google. A lot of bad press because they are starting to implement like old school, like Microsoft management practices, stack ranking, and uh, uh, you got to fire ten percent of people. Some Jack yeah. Welch shit, you know. You could fire ten percent of people every year. Uh, no, it was um, all them. Then this is what was reported. So, uh, I'm not a journalist, so don't crucify me over this. But like, what was reported was all managers got the directive to you have to put 10 percent of your employees on on pips, hmm. regardless of whether they needed it, <laughs> or maybe maybe 20 percent of people need to go on pips. You know, I, I don't know. But I mean, this is tell, and that 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 is stack ranking. That is you know Jack Welch's ABC. Yeah, and you fire your C's every year. Yeah. Well, there's also that that uh, statistic metric that says you have a certain number of employees nets you a certain amount of gross or something like that. And I think I think that comes into play a lot with companies as well. At the higher levels, they care about more about the margin percentage of what each employee, from a numbers perspective, contributes. Yeah. That they're not even looking at that 
lower level. And maybe that's what this this whole Salesforce experience, employee experience thing is supposed to address, is to try to put some light into those situations. And whether or not how effective it is or not, is I think, remains to be seen. Well, I think I, this is all kind of new stuff. Yeah, and again, I mean, going back to the kind of the economy, and, and I think what I was trying to say, and it's, it's too much beer at this point, so it's hard for me to make my points. Um, but, you know, Salesforce really competes in the in the people space, and, and sure. their ability to operate effectively and competitively is really predicated on how well they manage their people situation. Yeah. Competing for competing for the best people, keeping people happy. So, and also everyone's just so sensitive nowadays. You have to have this employee, what is it called? Employee happiness program or exploit, what was it? Employee, employee experience. Yeah. I wonder if they use experience cloud for that. Um, they have some cloud for it, I'm sure. Yeah. Or they're probably building one. They're going to sell it to you. That's true. They're going to figure it out. Yep. They're going to eat their own dog food, and then they're going to sell it yep, to you. Yep. I mean, that's, hey, every consultant can we ever worked at, that's what they all try to do, right? What? Just build something internally, and they're like, oh, we're going to sell this to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always hate those conversations. <laughs> no. Because depending on where I'm at in the company, I might have to just kind of grin and bear it and nod my head and go, yeah, that's no, a great idea. You we know, can do this. <laughs> you know the person you're talking to. There's not even any chance you're going to be able to get them to understand what's involved in that. Yeah. Sometimes, and it depends on the dynamic, but sometimes that can be challenging and it could push you beyond your limits and you can produce something incredible. But other times it's just, it's a waste of time, effort, and money. Well, John, because the person dictating it is nothing more than a dreamer. I saw this. I, don't, I just I want to make sure we're not bearing the lead here. This, I guess this is yesterday. Maybe it's older than that. I don't know, but it's, I just saw it today. It's exclusive. Uh, it's an Axios. Axios exclusive. Salesforce to co-produce a TV show for, you can guess, guess? Salesforce Plus with CNBC. It's with NBC Universal and it's called CNBC. CNBC. I wasn't going to bury it. I had you know who works list. for CNBC, right? I don't have my soundboard, so I can't, I can't play it. That's because you have no idea. You yeah, have no idea. Right. There you go. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I didn't really get into that article too much. I just, it's interesting to see how Salesforce continued to co-mingle themselves yeah. with, uh, with media. Well, in this article, and, and at some point it becomes read, like it's becomes wait, who's covering who here? Yeah, <laughs> I read I read a couple of articles, and I don't remember which one coined this phrase, but one of, one of the articles it might have been the Verge or somebody, but they said. For those of you that are fans of corporate TV, I'm like, oh my god, that's a thing, isn't it? Corporate TV. I mean, what's not corporate TV? I, no, I mean, corporate TV meaning p- companies like Salesforce coming up with their own freaking video network. I mean, Apple TV, sure, makes sense. They're they're doing entertainment for consumers. You know, a- Amazon Prime, entertainment for consumers. Disney Plus, entertainment for consumers. But a company? What does a company gain from producing content? but to sell more stuff. Why would I want to sit through those commercials? What, what commercials? These corporate TVs. These, oh, I these, don't know. Have you not seen these ads that show up like, like when you're watching the morning news, so they'll cut over to some commercial, and it's like they're doing an interview, but I, they're not. I, it's a commercial. I don't watch TV news anymore. I don't either, but it's okay. on. And I've seen these okay. commercials. It's usually about someone trying to sell you like a, some prefab uh, bathroom remodel where they just kind of stick this overlay on your existing bathroom. Ugh, gross. Yeah, really gross. But that's what they do. (laughs) 
Like, we're in it out in a day. Remodeled your bathroom. I'm like, holy oh. crap. But that's how they sell it. But they, they sell it in a way that it's, it's like... It's literally paved over whatever was they there. They do was. it during... They sell their ads during news um, programs. And then they, they cut over to this commercial, but they do it in an, in an interview format. So they have oh. someone who's talking to no, someone as John, if they're interviewing John, that's called a native them. ad. That's a native ad. It's when... You'll notice this. Watch. You'll, you'll, the new, you'll be watching the news. Not a commercial. News. And they'll talk about, you know... Um, oh, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. About how there's this, you know, great new weight loss drug that mm-hmm. is, you know, helping, helping millions of people across the world lose weight and become healthy and all this stuff. And it just so happens it's uh, produced by Pfizer, you know, or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, these are well, native different. ads. These are native ads. Those are native ads, but these are, these are ads that happen right at, they're, they're at, they're official spots. They're not part of the program. Okay. They just happen to sell those they buy those slots during oh, those programs. Oh, der- okay. And the format for the commercial well, is... So the ad sales people, what they say is they, they're like, oh, we're doing a story on weight loss drugs? Okay, let me call Pfizer and Eli Lilly and Merck. Yeah. Let me, I'm like, I'm, I'm in, that's, if you're the ad sales person, yes, that's what you're doing. Yeah. The other annoying ones are the ones that pretend to be influencers. But, the influencer commercials where yeah. they're like, hey, guys, I'm in love with this product. Oh, my God, it's so great. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Another one of these. Yeah, well, that's what... It's weird because remember how um, the the story with millennials was that they were very sensitive to um, authenticity and they were hard to advertise to because they detect they could you know they didn't like being advertised to and all that. But what did they end up doing? They're getting they're they're getting all their ideas and making all their purchases. And I say they, but it's also what 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 was came coming after millennials. Millennials are old now. It's like the 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 zennials and zoomers and all that stuff. Yeah. They're all influenced by these TikTokers and, and snappers or whatever. I don't even know what these things are. I don't I have any of them. TikTok. But, but that's how everyone, I mean, all, you know, I guarantee you all the, all the products that, hair products and makeup products and shoes and everything, it's, it's all because of the influencers. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. I thought you couldn't be, I thought you couldn't be influenced. I thought yeah. you couldn't be advertised to. Oh, my favorite. Just my, because it's not in a 30-second blog doesn't yeah. mean it's not an ad. Yeah. People don't understand that, though. And they're selling some dumb stuff, too. It's Anyway, so I want to look at the Salesforce thing. So Salesforce will co-produce a new branded docu-series for CNBC's linear channel. What the hell is that? I have no idea. As a part of a broader television deal that Salesforce and CNBC's parent company struck last year around the Olympics. It's a tax shelter. I mean, I guess I missed that. Seven-year deal, multi-million-dollar deal that Salesforce made as official sponsor of Team USA. The deal also saw Salesforce commit to buying advertising against NBC Universal Properties. What a what a wow! These these giant corporate deals. I mean, uh, I, I, let's, can we just it's move just, on from it's this? It's just Salesforce. This it's it's Salesforce trying to make sure their name is out there, trying I to make know, sure they're staying relevant. Yeah. They're they're burning that money for name recognition. That's what that's what bugs me about corporate in general. Is there's so much money that is burned for nothing more than advertising and market share? Yeah, it's of course this is this is how the game is played. Huh? I, I know, but I mean, you think about all the good in the world that can be done. These companies I mean, that claim to be so good that they spend twenty minutes of their initial keynote presentations with how good they are. When that's only a fraction of what they blow on marketing and market yeah. share. I mean, some of the some of the marketing books from like the '60s and '70s are the best. That should be re- required reading for people. Yeah. 
I'm so cynical today. So it's well, I think you're cynical every day, but it's also the beer. Am I that? All cynical? right, what else do we need to get to? We're over an hour, and this is supposed to be a short episode. Yeah, we can we can start cutting it off. I don't think I mean, anyone's I, listening I, anymore. I had some. <laughs> I saw this article on Reddit. It was what what were your holy shit moments when it comes to Salesforce functionality? And I think I don't know if this was meant to be like. But good or bad? That's what I'm. That's what oh, I was yeah. trying to figure out. Yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad. The first person that chimed in said, "Oh, I really like the Lightning Record page because I can add in all these new fields and and related fields." And some people chimed is in. Is that a flexi page? What is a Lightning Record page? Uh, yes, it's a. It's. I don't know why these things exist the way they exist. I think they named them Flexi something at one point in time, and it stuck. Because I did not know Flexi Page was a Lightning. I'm still confused by page. when I uh, I want to edit a page layout, so I do the gear and then I do edit page and it takes me to something that i don't recognize it doesn't take me to the page layout that's the lightning else. page yeah, I know. okay and at that point at that point when you do it for I'm the st- first I'm still time mad about that john hold on at that point when you do it for the first time a record page does not exist really yes it's re- it reads from um the li- the page layout but once you save that you get this new dialogue that says oh you want to make this the uh, default you want to yeah. assign this to this and this that's you creating the new record page and then that's what gets and you, displayed. You, and then you have to activate it, right? So right. Where, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a – oh, I almost said, almost said mind <laughs> at F, but yeah. it's, it kind of messes with you. Um, yeah, okay. Because you don't know what, what you're doing at that time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, some people were positive, but I, I, <laughs> I thought this was pretty funny because I can relate to this. Uh, the sales team had built around 60 profiles. The, SA, the HS moment – trying to be nice to you yeah is when the manager of the team went to my new boss to say they knew more about salesforce and i should let them take a more leading role since they've done such a great job uh someone after that of course because it's such a common thing said huh funny the marketing chief at my company did the same thing taking credit or what no it's just the in some ways the accessibility of the low-code tools that salesforce provides makes everyone think that they should own the product I did my trails. I went to Dreamforce. I should own this. Uh, I guess I don't know what that means. Like, they should be the only one who works on it? So, imagine you're a sales manager or a marketing manager, and you have a Salesforce admin. Yeah. And the sales manager or the marketing manager comes to you and says, hey, I went to Dreamforce. I learned a bunch of stuff. I think I should own the Salesforce product, and I should take control over the the admin You started out from a position of... Of no process, no discipline, um, no professionalism, and of course, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a power no, grab no, no, and, a, and a. I get what you're saying, but that's yeah, not what I'm saying. Okay. What I'm saying is, you have a well-established Salesforce implementation. You have an admin who's running it, and then you have these directors, these sales managers, who think they should own it. They want the admin credentials, so they can make whatever changes they see fit. They see fit. It should be an easy no, though. If you have those things in place, I just mentioned. It should be, but you know how yeah. companies. Well, are. I know. Well, I know if you. I mean, if you're building, you know, these 20-foot by 20-foot flows, then, yeah, you're, you're a mess, <laughs> and you get what you deserve. No, I think what I'm leading up to is companies, I, I think companies fall into two categories. They're either sales-centric or they're marketing-centric, meaning the mm. marketing team holds the companies by the balls or the sales team holds the company by the balls, depending on who is considered to bring, be the one bringing in the revenue. Yeah, yeah. And they're the ultimate deciders. So you have someone who, maybe the sales team is the top dog, and so, in their position of power, they go, my team should own Salesforce. We, I want my admins controlling that, not the IT department. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. 
I don't know, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff in here, but it, it went from up and down, stuff like that, but I don't feel like talking about it right now anymore. Mm. Yeah, I'm out of beer, so... I'm out of beer. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I, f- I feel like I'm getting a little too loose in the tongue. So, yeah, um, get your sticker request and info at gooddaysforpodcast.com or also, you know, topics and uh, questions and things like that. Any... It's all, it's all f- fodder for the hopper. I don't know what's... I'm making that shit up now. Um, we also, you know, we have a Slack. We have a Slack. This Good Day Sir community has a Slack. We didn't mention that last week. Someone called me out on that. It's at www.gooddaysirpodcast.com. You just click on community, and you can sign up there. I noticed the sign-up request slowed down, and it was because you yeah, didn't it was mine. It. it was my fault. Well, it's your fault, too. How's it mine? This is because, John. This is a relationship here. You know, it's a give and take. Okay? <laughs> Bilateral. Um, we also have, um, we're doing a meetup at Dreamforce, which is it's in two weeks. It's on Thursday, so it's like the last day. So it's after, kind of everything, after everything wraps up, but it's Thursday afternoon at McKellar Pub, McKellar, whatever it's called, bar, McKellar Bar, just right off of, off of Mission, not Mission, um, Market. And there's a sign-up for that. If you just go to our Conversations channel on our Slack, you can sign up. I mean, you don't have to sign up, but we want an idea. I mean, we're already, like, I think well over the number of people that we have reservations for, so we're going to probably, you know, we want to be able to tell them how many people are coming. So if, you're, if you want to come, if you think you're going to come, sign up. What else, John? Email address, Slack, meetup. Send us beer. Send the, yeah. Yes, we accept alcohol. <laughs> you know those sites, uh, buy me a cup of coffee? There should be like, buy me a beer. I'm sure there is. It's yeah. like a tip jar. I don't like any of those things. Uh, anyway, that's all I got. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.